This time on the Cameron Journal podcast, we're going to talk about a dream of pretty much every worker ever, the four-day work week. It says those stupid hours you're working don't help. I want you to stop it. Stop it now. Everybody, I want you to repeat after me. I'll do the first one. I will not work stupid hours. Okay, everybody? I will not work stupid hours. Okay, let's do it again. I will not work stupid hours. One more time. I will not work stupid hours. Folks, that is the first step on the Workaholics Anonymous program. (laughs) Well done. You need to see me after class for remedial work. This is the Cameron Journal Podcast. It's a place where we talk about important things. It's a place where we bring a little slice of the news to you. It's a place where we do important things, have important conversations. It's also things that I like to talk about. My name is Cameron Cowan, and this is the Cameron Journal Podcast. That was Craig Airy speaking at his TED Talk at Macquarie University. He's talking about the four-day work week and how most people, even despite productivity, we just simply work too much. We work far too many hours, and it's a problem, and we need to do something about it. The Industrial Revolution has left a legacy. Production lines. They've just been cleverly disguised as business processes. Computers, they're digital looms. The punch card, well, that's us. So much of our work is boring, repetitive, and monotonous. No wonder we are being automated. So what do we do about this? What's the answer? We need to change the lens through which we look at work. Instead of a lens of productivity and profit, we need to use a lens of time and people. So you might be asking, what does that mean? It's this. I want you to go to work on Monday and say to your boss, can I have a four-day week at full pay, thanks? Now, if you've avoided being fired, you might have two choices. On one hand, you can work out how to do 20% more on your four days, or on the other hand, you can work out how to do 20% less of the crap they make you do every day. Which choice will you make? How many times have people gotten up on Friday and just not wanted to move out of bed? How many people who work weekends would rather not work on split days off or being stuck with five-day work days scattered throughout the week? Americans have had the five-day, eight-hour workday for about 80 years now. For many economists of the 1930s, they would be shocked that we're still slaving away for 40 hours a week. For them, they figured that the eight-hour workday was the beginning of a decline in the number of working days for workers. John Maynard Keynes predicted that one day we would only work three or four days a week because of the constant increase in productivity from workers. The idea was simple. In the future, we just wouldn't need to work that long. We'd be able to get all our work done in four working days. Sweden recently reduced working hours to 35 hours a week and productive and worker happiness has increased. A company in New Zealand was so happy that with their productivity, they switched to a four-day work week permanently. There are some futurologists that predicted we'd only be working 15 hours a week by now. The gains from machines in the 1930s were so much that they predicted that as long as productivity increased, which it has, working hours would by necessity decrease as well. And by that time, they already had. Working on a Saturday was common in the early 20th century, but after World War II, the five-day work week began to become more and more common. So what happened to that? 
Why aren't we all working only four days a week? That's complicated. But first, let's talk about some history. But seriously, what would it take? Well, this happened once before, back in 1940. That's when America first legislated the five-day week. And that was only 15 years after Henry Ford converted his factories from six days to five. And he didn't even have Twitter. Industrialization radically changes the way humans do work. In the centuries before industry, most people worked in trades or as farmers. Most people worked at or near their home, and many engaged in cottage industry where people, primarily women, might sew, weave, take in laundry, or do other tasks for a larger business. Industry changed all that. Work moved out of the home and into central workplaces like factories and large shops. However, there was little regulation on how long the workday should be or how workers were paid. It was a completely free market. A 12, 14, or even 16-hour workday could be demanded. If workers refused, they were simply fired. Pay for most jobs was low, and if there was overproduction and the factory had to close, workers were simply laid off until the factory owner was hiring again. As the 19th century progressed, workers began to demand changes. Unions became legal in the United States in the 1842 influential Commonwealth versus Hunt case. After that, unionization and labor organization took off, especially after the Civil War. Keep in mind, factories in the 19th century did not take the modern 12 federal holidays or even Christmas. That's why in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, Bob Cratchit had to ask for Christmas off as a special permission. This was especially true for Protestants who didn't really celebrate Christmas until the late 19th century. Imagine working 10, 12, 14 hours a day, six days a week, all year long, no holidays, no vacations, and little break. That was the reality of the worker in the 19th century, until unions began to change all of that. One of the first labor organizations was the Federation of Organized Trades and Labor Unions. It was a good deal less than a strongly effective organization. In its third year, it collected just $508 in dues, and its 1884 convention brought together merely 18 delegates. Yet its fingers were clearly on the pulse of America's working class. It passed a resolution decreeing that, quote, eight hours shall constitute a legal day's labor from and after May 1st, 1986. Fortunately, they achieved their goal 50 years early when the eight-hour workday became common in the 1930s. Mining strikes dominated the news in the 1880s. Many of these became violent, like the Colorado Cripple Creek Miners' Strike. However, there were far more strikes by the building trades. There were 37,000 strikes in those trades in the 1890s. By the 20th century, a major coal strike from 1900 to 1902 nearly brought the United States to its knees. A Pullman Palace car factory strike caused 125,000 people to quit work rather than work on Pullman train cars. The strike ended in four days with 13 deaths and more wounded when the U.S. Marshals and the U.S. Army broke up the strike. The American Railway Union disintegrated as a result. Many more unions would come and go over the intervening period. The AFL-CIO, which is an amalgamation of dozens of unions, is now the country's largest union. However, only about 3% of workers are in a union compared to the recent past when unionship hit a high in 1960 with 51% of the workforce as part of a union. 
in the American tradition when it came to working hours, working days, uh, paid leave, all these things, unionization and organized labor was the primary force and thrust in changing standards. Capitalism, and indeed factory owners left to their own devices, would create whatever schedule they felt was necessary to achieve their own goals and their own desire to build wealth. Indeed, in many other parts of the world where most manufacturing takes place now, the standards of the 19th century that unions fought against in this country are alive and well. When you look at factories in China, Vietnam, and elsewhere, the same oppressive, long working days, long working hours, and little breaks and holidays are sadly commonplace. In America, all of this came to a head, especially around safety, in a very important moment, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire. The fire at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory was a turning point, not only for fire safety in America, but in worker treatment. When the factory went up in flames in 1911, 146 people, mostly women, died. This was another area where unions and reforms were crucial and basic safety was not a consideration for factory owners. However, thanks to worker organizations, that began to change. Public outrage helped as well. The fire is still one of the deadliest industrial accidents in U.S. history. The fire brought the treatment of workers into sharp focus for both the government and labor unions. The fire brought on big changes for labor unions, and those changes paid off in less working time, greater safety, and a standardization of fire code practices in industrial workplaces. Working on Saturday at regular employment was common until after World War II, although the practice of 40 hours a week, 8 hours a day, 5 days a week has started to become common in the 1930s, the war necessitated the extra production as all factories worked 24 hours a day, 6 days a week for the duration of the war in 3 shifts. By the 1950s, though, the weekend, the two-day weekend we now know, was common. When the idea of working only five days a week started to become popular in the 1920s, there were several groups who thought it was a good idea. Jewish people wanted to be off to celebrate their Sabbath and go to synagogue on Saturday. Progressives wanted to improve the lives of workers and help them enjoy something that was becoming more common, leisure. Until the 20th century, only the wealthy enjoyed leisure. For most people, the only day they weren't working was Sunday, which was reserved for church. There was no work-life balance for 19th century workers. This was partly made possible by the fact that women did not work outside the home and instead were tasked with unpaid domestic labor. When women started to enter the workforce in greater numbers beginning in the 1890s, women would end up leaving work and then doing those same domestic duties, leaving them working from sunup to sundown to keep both their homes and their working lives going. This came into sharp focus when women really went into the labor force in the 1970s. Before then, women occupied only about 20% of the labor force. Once women left their homes, and often bad marriages, that quickly rose. Now, women slightly outpace men in the workforce. Work days and working hours have actually gone up. Although reducing unions and union membership was supposed to create a wonderful market of free competition and rising wages, the reverse has been true. Wages have not grown since 1977, and for some workers, have gone down. The average American work week is now at 47 hours. Americans work more than the 37.5 hours on average in Europe. To finally cut down on working hours to the hours Americans should actually be working, and to improve everything from work-life balance to hiring, it's long past time to adopt the four-day work week.
It's the perennial question of modern Britain. How do we achieve a work-life balance? The conversation about the four-day work week is slowly starting to make a comeback. Some of this started during the recession. School districts started experimenting with four-day school weeks as a way to save money during the recession. They saved money on fuel for school buses and facilities costs like electricity. Some districts have stuck with the plan as a cost savings as a way to balance the budget. The, st the state of Utah tried it for three years after the recession to save money until the state legislature reversed the trend in 2011 despite the governor's veto. The four... Day work week has the potential to make us happier and healthier. People can use that extra day to run personal errands, see friends and family, and even have a day to actually relax before returning to work. How many people do you know struggle to get everything done on nights after work and on the two weekend days? Or if they might work in retail or food or another industry where split days off are common, trying to schedule seeing friends, family, errands, and solve other problems, oftentimes on differing days where work interrupts the flow of a week, can be incredibly difficult. Going down to a four-day work week, even if we continued the trend of split days off, would still be helpful. Rather than having, in seven days, having to work five and only have two off, you'd only work four instead have three off. So, for example, you might work on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and then be off for Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Or the reverse could also be true. You might work on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and be off on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Or for those that hate Mondays, you could work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and be off Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. The potential of the ability to make it a different schedule with three days of the week off is practically endless. This also has the potential to make us happier and healthier. A bank in New Zealand found that work-life balance improved and productivity shot up 20% after instituting the four-day work week. The idea is getting international attention. Adam Grant and Rutger Berman argued again for the four-day work week at Davos in 2019. Some companies have started trying out a shorter work week. Countries like Sweden and Denmark have also tried shorter working days and reducing the number of hours worked from 40 to 35. There's a massive question if it will actually take hold in Europe. Now, Europe is well known for having a much more relaxed working culture than the United States. Europe boasts mandatory, art or mandatory vacation for three to four weeks, many holidays. Uh, France takes off almost the entire month of August. So does most of Great Britain. Um, there's a completely different culture with how work is done. Contrast with America, where we have no mandatory requirements on vacation. Most people are given two weeks that must be earned based upon hours worked. And we have this, this mythos around work that's very dangerous, that states that you're a good person if you work hard. We work, we look at long hours as a point of pride, as something that denotes you as a good person who's not lazy, who's contributing to society and making things happen. Europe has a very different idea. In an article from the Harvard Business Review, they analyze whether it will actually take 
hold in Europe's more relaxed working culture. It says here that uh, leading the trend is the Netherlands, where the average weekly working time, taking into account both full-time and part-time workers, is 29 hours, the lowest of any industrialized nation. Dutch laws passed in 2000 to protect and promote work-life balance entitle all workers to fully paid vacation days, maternity, and paternity leave. It's also even happening in the UK. It says here many UK organizations are also playing with the idea. <clears throat> it says here last month, uh, they, people at the Harvard Business Review worked with colleagues at Henley Business School to survey 505 business leaders and more than 2,000 employees in the UK to better understand the impact of the four-day week on Britain's modern workforce. The results show a, a mixed bag of benefits and costs. Half of UK business leaders we surveyed, that's the Harvard Business Review, reported that they enabled a four-day work week for some or all of their full-time employees, noting that employee satisfaction has improved, employee sickness has reduced, and the savings of almost £92 billion are being made each year. Among workers, 77% identified a clear link between the four-day week and a better quality of life. The practice is judged particularly attractive by 75% of Gen Z and Gen X people surveyed. Rather than relaxing, they're using their additional time to upskill, volunteer, and build side hustles. Two-thirds of Gen Z respondents said a four-day work week influences who they want to work for. In short, the four-day work week is beginning to make a comeback. However, despite the new discussion of a potential four-day work week and the fact that Europe is trying it first due to their more relaxed working culture, there's also a movement in reverse, one that says we should be working longer. And it's promoted particularly by Jack Ma, who is the founder of Alibaba. He says that people should be working 12 hours a day, six days a week, like many CEOs, leaders, and entrepreneurs. The pace is described as grueling and leaves almost time for workers to actually live outside of work. Indeed, it seems that with that kind of schedule, it seems that all someone would do is work, sleep, work, and sleep again. So that leaves the question, should we all live to work or work to live? The four-day work week can even work for some service businesses. Take Jacob Goddard, for example. He owns a landscaping business in Illinois. He talked about a change from a five-day work week to a four-day work week in a recent YouTube video. Here's what he had to say about the practice. The four-day work week update. Dude, it's been awesome. I knew it was going to cause, you know, a big change, um, some initial worriedness from everyone. The first question, are we going to get 40 hours? And the obvious answer was yes. We're still going to get more than 40 hours, but we're not going to be pushing way into these excessive hours and working your guts out. And uh, my initial fear is getting the work done, still staying up there on our goals. And to answer your question, we switched into this. So it's worked great for us. It's answered multiple problems. Hey, they almost hated when there was a holiday because that just meant you had to do five days of work in four days. And now all those issues are gone. So we, they get to enjoy a paid holiday, you know, like a Labor Day weekend here coming up. And then they get to know that they've got time to catch up and it's not going to be just a killer to catch up. Work-life balance is very important, especially for professionals. We all know how hard it can be to fit in personal tasks and the hours not working during the week and then just two days on a weekend. Hanging out with friends on Saturday can be a packed Sunday with laundry and more. 
doing something on a Sunday means leaving early because you're back at work on Monday. Add in dealing with kids, family, trying to see friends, and actual recovery from work, and there's often just not enough time in the week. This leads a lot of people to coming home from work during the week, sitting on the couch, and just watching TV. You're simply too burnt out to do anything else. Also, consider the fact, especially in America, most people have fairly long commutes. The average commute in America is in at 45 minutes. And for people who live outside of major cities or live on a major coast, one, one and a half hours of commuting can be common. When I lived in Seattle, I had an hour and a half commute at one point. That left me three hours extra a day just sitting in the car staring at license plates. Add in eight hours of working, plus three hours of commuting, people are doing a work-related activity for 11 hours a day. Suppose they sleep for seven or eight hours. That means that between sleep, work, and commuting, most of their day is gone. Try fitting in, eating well, food prep, going to the grocery store, trying to do non-working things. For most people, it's just too much work. Having a good work-life balance is extremely hard to achieve given the time constraints most people live under. Then there's just time away from the job. In America, unlike most of the rest of the developed world, we don't have mandatory vacation time or a minimum number of days. Far from, in fact. We have no mandatory vacation time. We have no minimum number of days. Other developed nations get anywhere from three to six weeks with generous time off for paternity and maternity leave. This is another area that Americans can improve on. And it would be a big leap forward. But an even bigger leap forward, besides having actual vacation time, having actual holidays that everyone, even low-wage workers, get to participate in, would be the four-day work week. That extra day off could be huge. And Friday doesn't have to be the only day that's eliminated. Doctor's offices, for example, already do something similar to this. They often will work Tuesday through Friday and make themselves available for new patients or a new day off. Uh, restaurants are frequently closed on Mondays or, or Wednesdays, a slow day of the week. They could also change the days they're open to accommodate a new day of leisure. Work up and down the scale could be reorganized on the schedule. For companies where they might work in retail and they're open seven days a week, a few more workers might be required to work all the shifts. This could lead to great employment for entry-level and other types of workers. Even auto shops could trade their Saturday working hours for Friday and instead be closed or hire additional mechanics to cover all the days required. One of the greatest gains in leisure times for workers came and continues to come from automation. Automation is something that is well on the way of affecting every area of our lives. It already has been. Many of the consumer products in your home were touched by machines before they arrived at your door. The shipping and logistics that got them there was primarily done by machines. A nice gentleman from a brown truck may have brought your package to your door, but that package was sent through warehouses, carried by robots, moved across lines, primarily done by machines. A shorter work week could ease the transition of automation into more areas of especially white-collar work. The rise of automation played a huge part in reducing the work week from six days to five. As machines did more work, the need for human labor was less, making the 40-hour work week more viable. Our economy is undergoing many of the same changes now as it did then. 
Automation is beginning to take over or reduce the labor required in many jobs. From the factory floor to middle management, many stable jobs are slowly being eliminated or reduced so as to be folded into someone else's position in the workplace. This means that another reduction in work hours may be necessary simply to increase hiring. Many people will also wonder a big question about this four-day work week. We already have a wage crisis. How will we cope with the day's loss of pay? Companies that have tried this have kept salaries stable. For hourly workers, the lost wages from Friday would need to be shifted to the other four days to make sure that wages at least stay stable. And with the new minimum wage increases on the way and modest wage gains, a helpful increase in wages would be helpful to ease the transition in more ways than one. As long as people are able to keep getting paid the same and they end up with reduced work hours and increased productivity, the four-day work week seems like it could be a tremendous change in the working lives of people. However, there are some downsides. The four-day work week, despite all of its benefits, is not necessarily a panacea. One of the questions we have to ask about the four-day work week is, should it be Friday, Monday? Would it be able to finish the week early or start the week later? For those that work on split days off and shift, that would have to be figured out, preferably by the companies involved, in terms of when it's convenient to have different people off at different times. One business in San Francisco that tried a four-day work week reported a quote-unquote quote vodka virus on Monday and people feeling rushed on Thursdays trying to get out the door. Another company decided to reduce the number of vacation days in order to compensate for the four-day work week. One founder at the startup Treehouse said it killed productivity and work ethic. People just weren't working as hard. There's also an issue around pay. Many people already can't survive on the pay they're getting, any transition would require pay raise to stay the same, and this is of course a huge problem for hourly workers. Another area of difficulty is that for service industries and other jobs, which are often the most common jobs in the economy today, services have to be provided six or even seven days a week. For business, this would mean hiring someone for the other three days of the week. This would be an increased expense for businesses, but would also lead to potentially more hiring in those areas. In this clip from the BBC, they're interviewing a local business leader who's talking about what the four-day work week has done in her regular business office in London. She talks about a variety of the changes and how much better it is for the employees. Do your employees get paid the same amount as if they were working a five-day week? Yes, they get paid above market rates, actually, which we're really proud of. And it's all because we managed to work so efficiently that we can be as profitable in the four days as we could be in five. Ironically, besides these downsides, I couldn't find too many other downsides in my research. Reducing one day a week of working doesn't hurt most people or most businesses. Yeah, you might end up with some employees who drink too much over the weekend and end up calling in on Monday. Yes, it would be a huge cultural transition. One of the hardest parts is going to be helping people change their attitudes about work culture in America. For Americans, working hard is like mom and apple pie. If you aren't working hard, you're just not that good of a person. And that is why I think we don't have a four-day working week yet. I think that's why, despite so many economists of the 1930s looking at the rise of productivity and the rise of unionization and understanding that in the future, days would get even fewer. We just aren't comfortable 
with laziness or people not working as hard as we think they should. And it bleeds into every area of life. Think of the way people who receive welfare benefits are demonized in society. Think about how single mothers who choose to stay home with their, their children and rely on benefits or only work part-time, or even women that just stay home with their kids and are married. Anyone who's not working hard gets vilified. Think of the common tropes about millennials and Gen Z, going to college for a meaningless degree and then not wanting to get a quote-unquote real job even despite of the fact many of those people are the people that serve the coffee, work in the fast food line, then do other important tasks, work in grocery stores. They're still vilified as lazy because they're not working hard enough. Oftentimes the solution to low wages and a lack of economic mobility is the you should work harder or get a better job, presuming the labor market is perfectly elastic. One of the reasons we don't have the four-day work week in this country is not merely the cultural changes that it would have to change or the fact we would have to hire slightly more people or the startup who claimed they had a vodka virus problem. It has to do with labor and the labor movement in this country. And remember, we started out by talking about the labor movement and how we got the five-day work week. In the early days of reducing down to eight hours a day and five days a week, business leaders complained that productivity would evaporate. Businesses would fail and people would be out of work. Sound familiar? None of that happened. All the advocacy for 40 hours a week came from the labor movement. In the 19th century, working long hours in unsafe factories was uncommon. Think of that triangle shirtwaist factory. Just a few decades later, safety was far better and working hours had decreased, thanks primarily to gains by the labor movement. The days of 12-hour working days and no holidays was gone in favor of some holidays and weekends and paid vacations. All of this leisure time had huge economic benefit. Henry Ford helped pioneer the 40-hour work week for one simple reason. He wanted to give his workers time and money to buy and drive his own cars. The more cars they bought, the better for his bottom line. In the UK, we have a bit of a puzzle when it comes to our productivity. Workers in Germany, for example, could actually stop working on a Thursday and yet still produce more than we do. So therefore, greater and longer working hours doesn't necessarily mean that we're more productive, especially when it negatively impacts our health and our ability to do our job. Do initiatives like the four-day week or the six-hour day impact on our economy? Cutting our working hours isn't going to be a simple solution because it's about looking at the employee well-being as a whole. So how are we looking after our employees? Are we also offering lifestyle benefits? Are we harnessing modern technology to be able to offer greater flexibility as well as making sure that people still deliver? Because that's what's going to drive corporate profits and therefore economic growth more broadly. Edinburgh is home to over 3,000 restaurants and cafes and one of the city's most popular is about to make a major shift to the way they work. If workers want to work four days a week, then it's up to the workers who are going to have to rise up and ask for these changes. It's unlikely that depending on the business community to make these changes is going to help. It might sound like a nice idea in the Harvard Business Journal, or it might sound, sound like a nice idea in popular culture to say, oh, hey, some businesses should make the switch. Ultimately, if we, the workers, want a four-day work week and be able to have reduced working hours and more time for actual leisure, then workers are going to have to unionize 
and demand it. It really is up to the workers. History has shown that companies will continue to exploit their workers for as much of their time as they think they can get away with. If workers want fewer working hours, then it's important to unionize, organize labor, and demand better working conditions and a lowering of working hours. That's how the 40-hour work week started. It wasn't primarily businesses that led that revolution. It was the workers. If 32 hours sounds like a better deal, then it's time for workers to rise up and make the demands on business. For the past 30 years, workers have been so afraid of being out of work that workers have simply accepted whatever businesses want to do. We now live in a culture where there's 24-7 connectivity, emails are flowing... People have dedicated smartphones for work or connected to their personal smartphone. There is oftentimes an expectation, particularly for professional and salaried workers, that they have to be available at all times. Things are any better on the lower end of the scale either. Fast food workers and retail workers oftentimes have up-to-the-moment scheduling. States have had to pass laws demanding that companies give workers at least a week notice of what their schedule is going to be to prevent an entirely fluid schedule at all times, depending on the needs of, of the business. The reason businesses are able to get away with these changes is because workers simply aren't organized. We don't have the collective bargaining the same way that we used to. The threat of union unionization is so great that at many retailers like Walmart, Target, and Amazon, the mere mention of the word union will have teams of anti-labor organizers and lawyers descending on private planes to stop a location from unionizing. Because companies know when workers are unionized and standing in solidarity, changes can happen pretty fast. The labor market is not a perfect market that's perfectly elastic for all workers. We don't have perfect knowledge as workers of what salaries might be, what benefits might be, what culture might be, or what expectations might be. The best way to make sure that there's a balanced relationship between the business and the worker is organized labor. Remember, things like lunch breaks, 15-minute breaks, and overtime pay wouldn't exist. Those things only exist because of unions. It's long past time for workers to organize. Even though most of the innovations from the labor movement are now codified in law, they started out in union contracts. And if workers are ever going to get the four-day work week, it's going to be through the same way. The possibilities of a four-day work week are endless. It would change the way the, company, the country operates. It would change the lives of Americans who could spend more time with their families, on their hobbies, and be happier. It's 2019. We may not have flying cars, but we certainly can manage with a little organization the four-day work week. You have. It's a, a huge factor um, because the culture in the workplace drives better results, better performance, a happier workforce, so our retention rates are really high. Um, we can attract the best talent to our teams and our clients can invest in, in training these people knowing they'll be here in the long term and they're not going to disappear. So we work with the world's largest IT companies and they choose us over other agencies because of the culture and how well we treat our staff. Thanks for listening to the Cameron Journal podcast. This has been my commentary on the four-day work week. Big thanks to everyone who contributed, including the BBC for the fair use of their audio and the TED Talk. Thanks to everyone that I read and watched to understand about the phenomena of the four-day work week. If you'd like to catch up with me, catch me on Twitter at Cameron Cowan. Visit CameronJournal.com for new blog posts every week. And feel free to find me on Facebook. 
or all your favorite social media platforms. Until next time, this is the Cameron Journal Podcast, and I'm Cameron Cowan.